Good morning, GCC family. Let me just say, first of all, that you guys look really good today. Glad you could join us this morning as we uh, worship the Lord together. And I want to begin by reading some scripture uh, with you guys this morning. So I'm going to ask you, even though you are at home, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I can see you if you're not doing this, right? So stand with us as we read Philippians chapter 4. I think it's a great place to begin. You know, we're living in some uncertain times, but we have the hope of Christ. And uh, we have the hope of, of the gospel the hope of the return of Christ, and um, you may be one of those out there this morning that's joining us maybe for the first time, and maybe you're a little bit anxious, or you're, you've been with us a long time, and you're a little bit anxious about uh, what's going on in our world, but I want to give you some scripture this morning that's going to encourage you in this, and so uh, let's read uh, together Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Listen to this. Paul writes, rejoice In the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Listen to these next words. The Lord is near. And then he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he says, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all, All comprehension, some translations have all understanding, will guard or garrison your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he gives to the church the remedy for worry or for anxiety. It's right here. If you've been looking all your life for, hey, what's the remedy um, to the anxiety that I have in my life? Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And he says, verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So Paul's putting himself himself up there. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking... Uh, I'm looking to Christ, you look to me, practice these things, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to be able to gather together. It's uh, a little bit unusual because we're not all uh, together in this room But as uh, we know, the church is not a building. It's made up of those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray for all of us this morning that we're able to focus our attention um, on you and on worshiping Jesus Christ. I want to thank you, Lord, for the guys that are here this morning to make all this happen. And we just um, are so thankful for uh, their willingness to be here. And, uh, Lord, I just want to pray that as we sing uh, together that, um, Lord, you would be honored and you'd be glorified. And, again, I thank you for the technology that allows us to do that this morning, to be able to meet together in an unusual manner, Lord, but, but I'm thankful that, that we're able to do so. And so we commit our time to you in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I have to assume in this unique situation that uh, some of you will be worshiping with us this morning in your pajamas. <laughs> so that's uh, pretty cool, right? Uh, there's a silver lining uh, in every situation the Lord puts us in. Hopefully this is not the only time you've worshiped uh, in your pajamas. Hopefully that's uh, something that takes place quite often. Uh, but this morning we're going to do it together. The silver lining for us is that our God is mighty to save. And because he's mighty to save... Um, we know that one day we're going to be together again. In this life or the next, we're going to have a day where we're together again, then we're going to be together forever at some point, and that's going to be a day that we rejoice. So that's what we want to sing about this morning. You guys sing out at home as we worship the Lord together. Everyone needs compassion love that's never failing 
Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Take me as you find me. All my fears and failures Fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I surrender I surrender My God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation, heroes and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave, shine your light and let the whole world see, we're singing for the glory of the risen Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. Conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Sing a song about heaven. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace in the mansions bright and blessed. He'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory while we walk the pilgrim pathway clouds will overspread the skies but when traveling days are over not a shadow not a sigh when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true 
Trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory. Will the toes of life repay when we all get to heaven? What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. It's really sweet in this time, especially, right, to trust in Jesus. So let's sing how uh, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I prove him more and more Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in sin faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I've proved him more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust him more I'm so glad I learned to trust him precious Jesus Savior friend and I know that he is with me will be with me till the end Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. guys this last song this one's probably better suited for the whole band but the message is just so perfect for the situation that we're in i felt compelled to do it uh, so you guys listen to the words it's called alive and breathing and the chorus says that joy still comes in the morning hope still walks with a hurting if you're still alive and breathing praise the lord don't stop dancing and dreaming there's still good news worth repeating so lift your head and keep singing praise the lord so you guys listen to the words what holds your heart what stirs your soul what 
Let us come tonight. Because you keep the thoughts you think, it's not all wasted time. Seeking you will find. Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with a hurting. You're still alive and breathing. Praise the Lord. Don't stop dancing and dreaming. There's still good news worth repeating. Lift your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord. The years roll by. Wonder why we lost our way from home. Our father finds the child inside. We left for growing old. Awake, 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 my soul. Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with a hurting. You're still alive and breathing. Praise the Lord. Don't stop dancing and dreaming. Still good news worth repeating. Lift your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord. Let everything, let everything, let everything praise the Lord. In the working, in the waiting, let it praise the Lord. In the blessing, in the breaking, come on, praise the Lord. In the dying, in the rising, let it praise the Lord. Let it praise the Lord. Oh, let it praise. Joy still comes in the morning. Hope still walks with a hurting. You're still alive and breathing. Praise the Lord. Don't stop dancing and dreaming. It's still good news worth repeating. Lift your head and keep singing. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right, congregation? I can hear you. You said it. Amen. There's a lot to praise the Lord about. And one of those privileges that we have uh, is to open God's Word together. So I'm going to ask you that you would take your Bible and go to 2 Timothy. As you remember last week, we began to look at this book and kind of introduce um, it to you. And, and this morning, we want to finish that introduction. We want to finish what uh, we started last week in introducing Second Timothy uh, so that we can gain a better understanding of what Paul was writing to his protege, uh, the urgency with which he wrote, the content, uh, the things that he tells him that are very, very critical. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking, wow, Lord, you led me to this book for such a time as this. Uh, with all the uncertainty that's going on in our world, uh, we can be certain because we know him, because we know Christ. Think about this. With all that was going on with the Apostle Paul, being in maritime prison, in a dungeon, it's dark, it's cold, and yet he's faithful to the end. And so no matter what goes on in the next few weeks or months, the Lord has called us, the church, to be faithful to the end. And so I want us to consider this issue of passing the baton. Passing the baton and kind of how does that look practically in our lives as Christians. I want to read to you uh, this morning just uh, from an article in Leadership Magazine. The author writes about this issue of passing the baton and 
this is what he says about it being a good pass. Um, passing the baton. What it qualifies for a good pass. He writes this, both runners must be running so that they do not lose time, which is very critical in a race. Um, secondly, he says there must be trust and confidence that the team member will hand it over properly. And that's what's going on in this book of 2 Timothy. Paul is handing it over to Timothy. And I think he does it properly. And I think we're going to see that as we go through the book itself. Thirdly, he says a runner receiving the baton cannot look back or swerve out of his lane. He must follow the rules. In fact, you're going to see in chapter 2 that Paul talks about that very issue. Fourthly, he says it requires knowledge of each other's ability. Each other's ability. And Paul, listen, Paul knew Timothy. He knew he was a timid man. In fact, in chapter 1, he says the Lord hadn't given us a spirit of timidity, but power. Fifthly, he says the runner passing the baton has to tell the other runner when to go. If he says go too early, he won't have time to catch him and give him the baton. And so this is just the right time. Paul knew. He says in chapter 4, the time of my departure is at hand. He knows that he's about to go and see his Savior face to face in all his glory. And then he says, lastly, passing the baton means it also requires strict obedience to the rules. And we're going to see this morning, as we look at some of our introductory thoughts today, that everything that Paul says to Timothy in references to... Uh, that we will look at today, they're all commands. I mean, it's so essential that Timothy take that baton and that he obey what the Lord would have for him in his life. And so I want us to think, and I want you to think this morning with me, are you passing the baton? Are you in the process of doing that? Uh, have you even thought about that? Is that something that you've thought about, that I've thought about, the importance of handing down our faith? Passing that on to the, the next generations. Well, as we come together this morning, I wanted to focus on two primary issues. First of all, the, reason, the reasons for writing the letter. Why did Paul write this letter? We know the circumstances that he was in. He was in a dungeon. He was cold. He was probably tired. He definitely was lonely. There wasn't people around. And so there's this, this sense of urgency with which he writes to his protege. Named Timothy. And the first thing that I can see from the book, I see two primary reasons. First of all, he wrote to encourage Timothy to come and join him. Now that may sound like a simplistic reason, but it's clear in this letter that Paul longed to have his protege in his presence. I mean, it's kind of like this. If you've been away from your husband or your wife for a long time, don't you long to see them? class I can't hear you right you do you long to see that person I mean it may be okay for a couple of days that would be my testimony when Teresa's gone for a couple of days I'm like hey I'm good for two days but then after a couple of days I'm ready to see her that's how we are with our children right we would long to see them if we haven't been with them for a while Paul longs to see Timothy he longs to see him and the, and the text reveals that uh, to us in chapter 1, verse 4, the text says that Paul longed to see him. He longed to see him. You know, I think that's what's going to happen to us as we go through this together. I can't wait for that first Sunday when we're all together. I mean, we're going to say, man, I, I'm so glad to see you. Even Buddy Seal, glad to see him, right? We're going to be glad to see him. We're going to rejoice. And guys, we can say this, those of us who know Christ, even if we don't see each other on this side of glory, we'll see each other in the presence of our Lord and our Savior. Paul writes this. Listen to these words. In chapter 4, verse 9, Paul tells Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. In other words, hey, I need to see you. There's an urgency with which he writes. In verse 21 of chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, make every effort to come to me before winter. I mean, that kind of hits you when you understand the context because just before in verse 13, he says, hey, bring my cloak that I left at Troas. I mean, you kind of put yourself in, in Paul's situation and he's cold. There's a sense of urgency. I want to see my friend, but I'm cold. Bring my cloak. 
So there was a desire that Paul had to see the one that he had invested in. If you want to read about that investment, you begin in Acts chapter 16 to see that the context of, of, of how that came to be, the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Well, there's that joining, right, that presence. He longed to be in his presence, but he asked him to join in something else. And this is really incredible when you think about what Paul says to him. Not only did he want Timothy in his presence, he wanted Timothy to join him in suffering. I mean, wow, right? You're like, join me in what? I mean, if you're getting this letter and you're Timothy, right, and you're reading this, you're like, hey, come join me in suffering. That's a measure of a friend. Come join me in suffering. I broke my leg, you break yours. But it's much, much deeper than that. I mean, Paul knew, as I said just a few minutes ago, he knew that the time of his departure was at hand. He was already being poured out as a drink offering. That's what the text tells us in chapter 4. In fact, this hardship issue, this suffering issue, Paul speaks about. In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Join me in suffering for the gospel. Now, I was thinking about this last week and what we face. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Now, I was thinking, we're having to make all kinds of alterations to our services and to the things going on here at GCC. But you think about the persecuted church around the world. <laughs> you know, they're having to hide out to meet. And we have the technology available to us to be able to continue to meet. Paul says... To Timothy, join me in suffering for the gospel. Right? Join me in suffering for the gospel. And then chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Paul says, suffer hardship with me. Listen, serving the Lord is not this easy ride down Main Street. Serving the Lord is a difficult ride. It's difficult. In fact, Paul knew it was difficult, but he also so appreciated the fact that suffering for the gospel was something that God had called him to. And if it meant that people got saved, great. Listen to what he writes in Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Hey guys, the circumstances that we're facing now, you know what we need to be praying? That it turns out for the progress of the gospel. That's what we need to be praying that it turns out for the progress of the gospel. Listen to this. So that my imprisonment, his suffering, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. <laughs> Listen to that. Trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, because of hardship. And that's what he's telling his friend, his protege. Hey, come join me in hardship for the progress of the gospel. There's missionaries all around the world that are suffering hardship for the progress of the gospel. And you know the United States of America may be starting this hardship thing. And we need to pray that the Lord would use us, the church, to give the message of hope. You know, you may be struggling for reasons. You know, why is this COVID-19 going on? You know, why is this suffering going on around the world? Let me give you three things to think about. This unusual time, number one, is an opportunity for the church to glorify God. Hey, listen, when things are going well, we're like, man, Lord, you're awesome. You know, think about the things we sang this morning. I mean, Lord, you're awesome. We glorify you. But when the path that we're going down is rough, are we still glorifying you? Are we still saying, hey, Lord, you're in control of all things. I trust you. You're sovereign. So maybe it, this time is an opportunity for the church to glorify God, to continue to do that. The second thing I wrote down is that this is an opportunity to share the hope, the hope that is in us. How many times just this last week or two have you heard the word hope mentioned? 
I hope this ends, right? I hope there's an answer to the problem. And I'm thinking, well, I hope there's an answer to the problem too, right? But if there's not an answer to the problem and the Lord takes us, we have the hope that we're going to be in his presence. (laughs) That's a great thing. In fact, you remember Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Death is gain. This is an opportunity to share the hope that is in us. And how many of us have family members and friends that don't have that hope? What a great time to give them the message, even if they don't want to hear it. There's a third reason. This is an opportunity for our children and grandchildren to watch how we respond to adverse or uncertain times. I mean, how will we respond as, as parents and grandparents to this crisis? Will we be sitting on the edge of our seat, biting our nails? Are we going to rest in the Lord? I mean, how many stories are there in the Old Testament about times when the Israelites could have sat on the edge of their seats and have been chewing their nails down because of what was going on? And you see how God uses different leaders throughout Israel's history. That they would stand and say, hey, the Lord's in control. So this is an opportunity for us to be a witness to our children and our grandchildren. That's the first reason that I see Paul wanted Timothy to come and join him. But not only join him in his presence, but join him in suffering for the sake of the gospel Then secondly, I see the second reason or purpose for the letter is to encourage Timothy to fulfill. That word means complete. I'm going to show you that verse in just a minute. To fulfill the ministry the Lord had given him, knowing there was hardship and suffering coming down the road. Fulfill the ministry. And so this is a real practical question for you to think about. What ministry has God given you? And are you going to fulfill that ministry? You think about the number of people that you've seen over your lifetime that God's given a ministry to that have fulfilled that ministry. And they they finish well before going to meet their Savior. But then you think about people that you know that don't finish well. Guys, listen. There's great encouragement for us as a church body to finish well. Because we don't know when our Lord is coming for us. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 5 of 2 Timothy, listen to these words as he writes about this issue of fulfilling the ministry. Listen to this. But you, he says, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship. We just talked about that piece. I mean, he's not promising him an easy road. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and then listen to these last words. Fulfill your ministry. Complete it. I mean, Paul's just about to testify that he's finished the course. He's finished what God had given him to do. And so fulfilling the ministry that the Lord gives to you is very important in your life as a Christian. Our grandchildren, our children need to see us running the race with the mind Finish the race. So those are a couple of purposes that I see for the letter. Now we move on to some key verses. And the reason I want to give you these is because as we come to them, I want you to have prepared your mind for these things. Right? You have your notes before you. We sent them out this last week. Every week we will send you out notes of the text that I'll be speaking on. But these verses are key. Now typically... What someone may do is, as they're teaching through a book, say, okay, these are the key verses. And like with 2 Timothy, there's four chapters, so they give you four verses. But there's more than four verses here to consider. And I wanted to give you the ones that I've come to in my study. The first verses are found in verse uh, 13 and 14 of chapter 1. Look with me in (coughs) in 2 Timothy (coughs) chapter 1. Verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. Paul writes this. 
Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now guys, that word retain is a very important word. Now I want you to understand that all these words, these key words as we're going through the key verses, all these key words are commands. They're imperatives. He's not asking him to think about it or he's not saying, hey, what's your opinion? He's saying, do these things. So the first thing he tells Timothy is retain, retain the standard of sound words. The word retain means to hold on tightly to something. It's like if you were walking across a busy street with your child, you're holding on tightly to their hand because you want to protect your child. That's what he's telling him. Protect sound words. Or we could say protect truth. Protect the truth. Also, you might visualize uh, someone holding on tightly to, to rein, the reins of a horse. I, when I, I, have, I had a short horse career. I only rode maybe three or four horses in my lifetime. And whether or not I was supposed to hold tightly onto the reins or not, guess what I did? I held on tightly to the reins. Why? I didn't want to fall off the horse. So the idea of the word is to hold on tightly to something. Um, it might also, you might have a visual of like repelling. You're holding on tight to that rope as you go down that mountain. The Apostle Paul told Timothy to hold on tight to the truth. Hold on tight to the truth. I like what John MacArthur writes in his book, The Truth War. He wrote a book called The Truth War. If you don't have that book, get that book. It's a great book. Um, he writes in his book, The Truth War, church leaders are obsessed, now listen to this, obsessed with methodology, losing interest in the glory of God, and are becoming grossly apathetic about truth and sound doctrine. And my friends, listen to me, we are living in that time. He goes on to write, church leaders are responsible for setting the example. So in other words, when we gather together, whether you're here, right here in this building, or you're at home in your PJs, hopefully by now you've changed. I hope, I hope you have. And if you haven't, you have permission to please go do that, right? But all of us, right, all of us have the opportunity every week as we go through this life to hold on tightly to this book, to the truth. And so as people are searching for answers, we say, hey, we're not the answer, but we have the answer. And the answer is the word of God, the truth. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy to do. Hey, hold on to sound words. And then he says, look at verse 14 of chapter 1. This is another key verse. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure. And the treasure there is the gospel. The truth about Jesus Christ. Hold on to the truth about Christ which has been entrusted to you. The word guard means to give here means to give urgent attention to something. Giving urgent attention to something. And in the context, he's saying, give urgent attention to the treasure, the truth, the gospel of Christ. He's to guard it. I like college basketball. You know, it, it, we didn't have a tournament because of the COVID-19. And I missed watching it. In fact, if you wanted to watch a little bit of the uh, past championships, yesterday they were, they were showing it on CBS. But I want to give you kind of a visual of of the importance of guarding the treasure. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski is the coach of Duke. And, and the, the Duke University players have a visual that, um, in essence, tells every other member on the court, guard your man. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but if a ball game's really close especially, I've noticed this with Duke, They'll be coming down the floor. The opponent will be coming down the floor. And if I'm the Duke player and I'm guarding the guy coming down the floor, if you watch them closely, they'll, I can't do this, but they'll bang the floor. In fact, it's always that person out front that's hitting the floor. 
And when they hit the floor, that's saying, guard your man. Guard your man. And, and you just need to go back and, and watch some. In fact, Duke was on yesterday. If I had watched the whole game, I probably would have seen that. But that motion, when they hit that floor, that said to every other player on Duke's team that was on the floor, guard your man. That's the picture. Listen, the picture that we have here in this text is Paul is telling Timothy, guard the treasure. Guard the treasure. Hey, listen, just like we could envision somebody getting up on somebody and guarding them in basketball, Paul's saying, guard the treasure, guard the gospel. Why? Because there's only one gospel. There aren't many gospels. There's one gospel. And Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, those are the key verses in chapter 1. Chapter 2, there's two key verses in chapter 2. And both of these are really awesome. Chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this word strong is an interesting term. Because it's not this. I want you to see this. It's not this. Paul's not telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, hold your arms up and go, I'm strong. That's not what he's saying. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, while it's an imperative term, be strong, it's also in the passive voice. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to you, but it defines exactly what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is that this strength, when he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he's not telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, you are the one that's going to be strong. He's saying, there's someone that's going to be strong through you. That's the picture. It's an outside source that's going to provide for you the strength that you need to live the Christian life. <laughs> Who's that outside source? It's the Lord. The Lord is the outside source. He is the one that is going to be strong through you, through your life. And we don't need to have the mindset as Christians that, hey, I'm, I can do it. I mean, that's, that's our culture. I can do it. You know, I'm the man. I'm the one. Look at me. That's not the picture. That's not what Paul's telling him. He's saying, hey, look, you be strong in the favor. That's the word grace. You be strong in the favor that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. We are going through uncertain times, but we can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's another verse in chapter 2 that's really important, really key to the chapter, and that's verse 8. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. That word remember, again, is an imperative. It's an imperative. And it means to keep on remembering. Keep on remembering. That's what your wife expects when it comes to your anniversary. Keep on remembering that our anniversary is coming up this year at this date and this time. And she wants you to keep on remembering it for next year and the next and the next. Just like your children. They want you to keep on remembering their birthday. Um, the point that Paul is making here is keep on remembering Jesus Christ. Keep on remembering him. You know, we think about, when I thought about the word remember, um, I think my dad's generation did a real good job, my parents' generation, did a real good job of reminding us about Pearl Harbor. If I heard about Pearl Harbor once, I heard about it a hundred times. Remember December 7th, 1941. Right? They did a really good job of, of, of helping us to remember. That's when history was taught in schools. Right? Now you don't even know if that's being taught. But the importance of remembering. So there's a remembering of 
uh, key events in our nation's history, Pearl Harbor being one of them. And then I was thinking, remembering 9-11. That's one that's not too, too far back. I was thinking about 9-11 this last week as I was thinking about the word remember. And I was thinking specifically about the passengers on Flight 93. You remember that flight, Flight 93? I mean, these are people that are having to make a split-second decision. They somehow heard about what was going on. That two planes had already crashed into the Twin Towers. Right? We know what happened at the Pentagon. And where this plane was headed, whether it was the White House or the Capitol building, no, I don't know. They don't know. But these guys on that plane, in, that, in a split second, made a decision to storm the cockpit. And many lives were saved but at the cost of their own. You know, I was thinking, it's important to remember those guys and the sacrifice they made. And then I got to thinking about what Paul's telling Timothy here. (laughs) He's not telling him to remember 30 people. You know what he's telling him to do? Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember what he did for us. You know, that's one of the things when we celebrate communion, we remember We remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Remember. And guys, we're not just called to remember on Sundays or Wednesdays. We're called to remember every day Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. Well, fast forward. There's two more verses to think about this morning you might be ready for lunch right now the good part is that you're at home and if you want to go get something to eat go ahead you can do that Um, and if you have a drive-through service and you want to text me after the service I'll be more than happy to drop by somebody wants to come out and deliver me a package of food Make sure you're wearing gloves and that you can throw it into my truck because I don't want to be closer than six feet to you. There's two more verses that we want to handle this morning as we finish our introduction to the book. The first one is really critical. They're all critical, but this one I think is going to speak well to us as we consider what Paul's saying to Timothy, his protege. He says, chapter 3, verse 14, You, however... Continue in the things you have learned. So like you're going, okay, you, however. In other words, what's going on before that? Well, listen to what's going on just before Paul writes verse 14. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. (laughs) Again, what's Paul doing? He's saying, man, there's hardship. I mean, when you're finished reading this, if you're Timothy, you're going, wow, what a team to join. This hardship team. For the advancement of the gospel. Notice what he says. But evil men, verse 13, and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving, and here's their characteristics, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, so with that in mind, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Now that word continue might look pretty innocent, right? Continue. But it's an imperative. He is commanding him to continue in the things that he had learned. Um, Notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, you need something new. (laughs) Paul doesn't say to Timothy, hey, you need something more clever. Right? We need to be clever. We need to think of something better. I mean, really, what is the message? Suffer for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't say you need something new. He doesn't say you need something more clever. 
or you need something more relevant. That's the culture we live in. In other words, our culture is like this. If we're going to keep people in the seats, we can't teach them this hard stuff. We have to teach them things that are going to be easy to swallow. Listen, everything that Paul writes to Timothy and 2 Timothy, a lot of it's difficult. I mean, there's a lot in there that's great, and you're like rejoicing because Jesus Christ is the answer. But because Jesus Christ is the answer and the hope is that and the hope is in him, there's suffering that goes with it. There's suffering that goes with it. I was just thinking about a verse of scripture, and this is not in my notes, but if you go back to 1 Corinthians, I want you to see something here. And it really relates to this whole idea of the importance of continuing. Listen to what it, listen to the way Paul phrases it in his letter to the Corinthian believers. Listen to what he says about the way people view the cross. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now listen, the message of the cross is a beautiful message. But part of the message of the cross is what? Suffering. And we know from the book of Romans, it says all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? They're going to suffer. So that's not necessarily a popular message. Join the bandwagon of suffering. Join the team of suffering. But Paul tells Timothy here, he doesn't say, hey, change the message. He says, stay on message. I mean, my heart goes out to the people in our country and around the world that are right now looking at this crisis and they are scared to death and they have no hope. I mean, you and I have hope, right? We have hope. Our hope is in Christ. What a great opportunity we have as a church to stand up and say, hey, listen, this is the message. And it's a wonderful love story about somebody who loved you so much they were willing to die for your sins. That being Jesus Christ. And let me tell you more about this Jesus Christ. Not only did he die for your sins on the cross, but he was buried. But he didn't remain dead. The third day, he rose again. He conquered death. And because he conquered death, we have hope that when we shut our eyes in death, we'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue in the things which you have learned. Notice it's interesting. I'll mention one more thing and then we'll get, we'll get uh, to the last verse. But notice he says, the things that you've learned from what? Childhood. You know, we have an Awana ministry here that is very important to the life of our children. And every single week, these children are learning God's word and memorizing the scriptures. But you know what we have an opportunity to do now, parents and grandparents? Listen, our world slowed down a whole lot. <laughs> and one of the benefits that you and I are going to have is this. We're going to be stuck with our kids. It's going to be awesome. This last week, myself and Teresa and Andrew started reading through the book of Exodus. And Andrew's like, Dad, really? The book of Exodus with all the plagues and what's going on now? So yeah, pick a better book, right? So we're reading through the book of Exodus together. Hey, guys, you know what God's going to do during this time? One of the great benefits is he's going to slow us down as Christians. And he's going to help us reevaluate the priorities because we live in a busy, busy, go, go, go world. And our world can't stand to stand still. But we're having that opportunity right now to stand still, to stand still, and to teach our children the value of God's Word. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. And listen to what he says about the Old Testament. 
which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Notice it's just faith. It's not faith plus a hundred other things. It's just faith. Well, there's one more verse for our consideration as we close our time together this morning. And that's found in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Look with me at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Wow, man, when, when you read that, you go, whoa. Okay, this is pretty important. I mean, look at the way he starts out. He doesn't just say to, to, to Timothy, preach the word. I mean, he includes the Father and the Son in this instruction. So, I mean, if you're going, for me, I was reading it and I'm studying it and I'm like, whoa. I mean, if you own a company, you have people out in the field maybe that are working. They're getting instructions from the one who's the head of the company. And they have, let's just say for the sake of example, three different crews working in three different areas. But in, in every crew, there's one that's the boss. It's one thing if that boss that's working that job says to his crew, hey guys, you need to do this. But if he says, hey, this is what the main man says, then you know what happens? They're like, whoa, because that's the dude that's writing the checks. Well, in chapter 4, verse 1, it's like Paul just comes to a stop. And he says, listen to me, Timothy. Listen to me. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, he says, preach the word. When I was at Southeastern Bible College, I changed my major three times, two times. I started out in secondary education. I was going to coach. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to coach. You know, I wanted to work nine months out of the year. That's what, right? That's what teachers do. They work nine months and get three months off. I wanted to be that guy. I'm going to work nine months. And for three months, I'm going to get paid. That's what my idea was. I'm like, that's a pretty good deal, Right? And all you teachers are just glaring at me right now going, we work 12 months. I know you do. I know you work hard. But listen to this. That was my mind. And and I started out that way. And I was taking these Bible classes. Because that was required. And I'm in Bible study methods. I remember it vividly. I'm in Bible study methods. And I'm going, man, this is fun. I mean, I got, I was like, hey, this is good stuff. I mean, you can dig and dig and dig. And you can learn it on your own. I don't have to listen to Pastor so-and-so and be be totally reliant on him, I can actually study it myself. And you know what? I got excited about it, so I changed to Christian education. You know, I was going to be one of those guys that had all the color charts, you know, and all these different things that went on for children and youth and adults, and I was going to be that guy. And I'm taking some of the classes in the Christian ed department And part of the responsibility there was to take Bible classes more than I was already having to take. So I'm taking Romans. I'm taking 1 Corinthians. And we're studying, and I remember vividly Dr. Talley saying, hey, look, a paper's due. I remember walking into his class, and he's going through his syllabus, and he says, guys, we're going through 1 Corinthians. He says, you have a paper to do every week. And I thought, ugh, maybe this Christian ed thing's not all it's cracked up to be. Well, then I'm like, really enjoying it and I'm writing papers and I'm going through 1 Corinthians and I'm going through Romans and I'm like this is good stuff so much so that I remember going to my advisor and telling him I want to change majors again he said that how many times are you going to do this I said I think this is going to be the last time I want to change my major to pastoral theology he says you want to preach and I remember you want to you You want to preach? I'm like, I don't know about that part. I just want to study the Word. Guys, you know what happens to you? The more you're in the book, 
the more you hunger for it. The more you want to dig. And I love what Paul tells Timothy here. He's saying, preach the word. Listen to me. We are not doing a service to people if we're not holding this book up. People aren't interested in my opinions or your opinions. People need the truth. And that's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. He said, he's basically saying to him, hey, stay on message. Preach the word. Preach the word. Like what C.H. Spurgeon says about this. C.H. Spurgeon said, of all I wish today, this is the sum. My brethren, preach Jesus Christ always and evermore. Preach Jesus Christ always and evermore. Guys, you're sitting at home today and you're not able to be here physically in this building. But do you know that right now the church is gathering? We're together. And you know the center of our worship is the Word of God. And that's exactly what Paul is telling his protege, preach the word. Why? Why do we preach the word? Why do we preach the word? Well, I'm going to close with these verses. I want you to think about why is the word of God preached? Why is the word of God preached? The author of Hebrews tells us the why. For the word of God, he says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what the word of God does? It breaks us down. It exposes us. You say, well, I don't like that thought. That's okay. Hey, listen. We all have cracks in the armor. We all do. None of us are perfect. And you know when we don't want to read this? You know when we don't want to? You know the answer, don't you? We don't want to read this when we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord. But you know when we need it the most? When we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord? Listen to me. You may be sitting at home today and you may not have cracked the Bible open one day this week. Guys, listen. There's a commonality. I want to close with this thought. There's a commonality about those who finish the course. You know the commonality about those who finish the course? Their focus is on Christ. And his word. That's the commonality. And they keep that focus as they live the Christian life. Bow with me as we close our time in prayer. I'm just going to ask you from your home and those few guys that are here uh, today. You know, you look at these verses and they all speak to our lives. They all do. Every single one of these verses has something for us. Why? Because the word of God is living and active. And sharper than any two-edged sword. We need to pray that the Lord would keep us during these times of uncertainty where we're maybe scrambling around looking for answers. Let's stay in this book. Lord, I pray that this morning that you've been glorified. Lord, as I was thinking about handing down the baton wow this is not easy this picture is not just this simple handing over it is filled with very critical issues that Timothy would have to receive I love the fact that as Paul is handing down 
what had been given to him by you, Lord. I'm thankful that Paul's focus in this letter was not on himself at all. I mean, when you look at the verses we went over this morning, these critical verses to understand in this letter, all of them center around Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Centers around what you do in our lives. Lord, we have things in our lives that we treasure. I pray that what we treasure the most is our salvation. What we treasure the most is the gospel. And as you present opportunities for every one of us to share the gospel, the hope, certainty that we have in Christ, I pray that your spirit would be working in the hearts and lives of people that we talk to. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for the time that we've had this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in everything that's done in our lives today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I wanted to close with one thought for you before you uh, go eat lunch. Don't forget to text me if you have something good to eat. Um, I was thinking how we could remain in contact with each other. And uh, while I'm technologically challenged, one of the great things that we can do is FaceTime each other. I would encourage you during the week, maybe pick a couple of families, go through the directory, pick a couple of families, call them before, say, hey, look, we want to FaceTime, our family wants to FaceTime you and just talk and encourage one another. I think that could be a real form of encouragement for our body. And so every week, you think about who the Lord might put on your heart. And I know you say, well, what about the older generation? They don't do FaceTime. Well, write them cards, call them on the phone. Um, Just check on those people within the body. Because one of the things we don't want to do during this time is lose contact with one another. So you pray about opportunities that the Lord may give you. You're dismissed and you may go and eat.